What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are, oh God, I'm dying already. Today we are talking about season two, episode 22, The Wire. Maybe that's the problem. Mm. Maybe I've got like a chip in my brain that's uh, causing me to cough. Uh, but I'm here with my regular co-pilot, Mike and Deglio, and my temporary co-pilot, Pretzel the Dog, sitting on my desk here, sniffing as we go. How's it going, Mike? It's going well, Keith. Uh, it's been a week already, even though it's well, it's Tuesday here, so we're we're full into it. Uh, my Philadelphia Eagles, as you've been, if you've been paying attention, have made it to the Super Bowl by decimating anything even remotely called a quarterback. We'll break their mm -hmm. arm for you. Uh, so that's exciting. We had a, we had a fun weekend because of that. It, it feels a little surreal, but I'm excited about it. And then Keith, we actually started looking at some homes, and I yes. realized. Looking at a house is different than looking at an apartment. When you're looking at an apartment, you do everything to, to convince yourself, oh, I could live here. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking for a home, you temper that with, oh, do I like this? Do I like it enough to wipe out everything I've ever had and worked for? Uh-huh. Forever. Yeah. So uh, it's it a actually, 30 year lease minimum. <laughs> it's very sobering. It's very sobering. I mean, and this, I mean, it's a great neighborhood where you're looking at uh, and Basically, it's instant equity. You buy these townhomes in, in these neighborhoods that are flipping over, and I know for a fact they're flipping over. You make a lot of money yeah. in this house. But <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not at a point right now where I'm looking for like real estate investment opportunities. I'm really, really just looking, wouldn't, I want to know where I can put my big homeless. TV. Yeah, I want to know where yes, I can put my big TV. you want to know where does the big TV go? Yeah. No, I, I, and, and it is an endless mixture of the two. Well, we're going to find you quarters somewhere. Yes, I know it. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. But Keith, until then... I have my good friends, Garrick and Dr. Bashir, to keep me company. I had no idea where this was going, but let me tell you, uh, hold on, I have, to say, I have to be no spoilers. So this mm -hmm. week's episode of The Last of Us, which is one of my favorite shows on TV right now, not to mention uh, Poker Face, which I'll talk about on Geekly this week, um, next week. Anyway, The Last of Us, which I'm digging on right now, had one of the most beautifully romantic episodes I've seen on television in a really long time until I watched Deep Space Nine this week. The beautiful romance that the continues. Remance. Oh, the romance. Bashir just wouldn't let him go. I'll never let go, Jack. Uh, so we'll get no. to talk about that today. I'm excited. No, he is going to find a way for them both to float on the door. Damn it. Uh, yeah, very exciting. Uh, you know who else is probably excited about all this? And that is our patrons who have been getting so much ridiculous bonus content uh, up on the internets, including watching Mike see the romance unfold before his very eyes. Uh, bonus episodes, unboxing, let's plays. I put up the second part of my uh, never-to-be-produced Star Trek graphic novel. Uh, it is all up there for your enjoyment. Who's enjoying it these days, Mike? Well, Keith, you've got Brian Kaufman. You've got mm. Worf's Boot Shivs. You've got CRM yeah. Productions. You've got good old Casey Clark. Yeah. Jason Moe, Charles Babbage, Nikolay Ivanovich Lobachevsky. Mm. Big, big fan. Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novoa, at Grim underscore Toys, and the Mysterious Delusions at Noon. You'll notice some negative space because it's just waiting for you. Uh, listener, watcher, lover of random content on the internet go ahead to patreon.com slash k and m become a producer on this show get in while the getting's good it's just like yeah. real estate in south philadelphia any any day now it's going to be worth something 
I, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what exactly it's going to be worth. But if you want to get in on the ground floor, you can do so at patreon.com slash K and M. Spell out that and and get all of the Keith and Mikey goodness. It made me uncomfortable just even saying that phrase. Mm-hmm. But, you know, discomfort is part of our brand. Do you want to know the, what the feelings of pangs of buyer's remorse feels like? You too <laughs> can know simply by clicking in that URL. Mike, you can't have buyer's remorse on your house. You haven't even put it in offer yet. No, all I did was drive home and feel disappointed. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what, there's one thing I do know in my life. I know what I don't want. And uh, that's actually, maybe will serve me at some point. That's, I think it, that's actually very, very important. And, uh, you know, you're going to find the right place. Mm-hmm. Just cast your nets wide. When it's right, it'll tell you. All right. Well, let me tell you uh, what's right for us. What's right for us is starting to talk about this episode, Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 22, every week, The Wire, every week. <laughs> it's crazy. The amount of prep work I do on this show is astounding. Is. And it yet is. somehow... I never actually think to update that, uh, but it's coming. It's coming. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about this episode, which aired on May 8th, 1994. Uh, Mike, do you have any thoughts and feelings about May 8th, 1994? I do, Keith. I do, because uh, me, like many of you, was probably watching television uh, and mm-hmm. you probably want to know what was on. What were we watching at that time? This is my stalling voice. Oh. Keith, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, was rocking the second oh, of a two-parter, classic. just like we did last week. It was Ooh. the House of Luther. Uh, and I believe that's when uh, the dad, who was the the L- Lionel Luther, was like handing off the baddie stuff. I think there was like the, who, it was his death. Who or played Lionel Luther on... Um... I can't remember the actor's name, but the second you see him on the Google machine, you'll know exactly who it is. But Keith, more importantly for us, oh boy, we're talking multi-parties. Do you know what ABC, this was night one, Keith, at nine o'clock, part one. Can't remember how many parts there were, but you were watching it. I know you were, and so was I. The Stand. The TV show. I think it was either three parts, three two-hour movies. Four parts. Four parts. Yeah, well. Four parts. It was awesome. That was on... Uh, of course, uh, the Flintstones were on Fox at seven o'clock. The Flintstones movie starring ye old John Goodman and I believe Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, yes, yes. I, it was. Yeah, I, she might have come in for the second one, but no, I bet. It, I bet it was both. Yeah. And of course, if you were watching in the Saturday market, we had the commission at 10 o'clock. We had an mm-hmm. ice skating special at 9 p.m. on CBS. It was just called Artistry on Ice. America's Most mm. Wanted rounding out Fox's block. Nickelodeon's Kid Choice Awards were on. And of course, Empty Nest, Sisters and the Mommies was on NBC. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, that stand miniseries. Uh, not only did I watch it then, I watched it recently because I wanted to watch it before I watched the uh, the Paramount Plus adaptation. And it's like, for the most part, it still holds up. How was the Paramount one? from Kathy Bates? Uh, decent. Okay. Decent, like it never. I I think the uh, the the TV miniseries actually really got the creeping, like uh, the 
dread feeling yeah of of the first part of that which i think is always the best part i was i'm always much more interested by like the transition as as the world falls anyway blah 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 uh so uh you know what what they what they used used to navigate a lot in the stand what's that because uh there was no gps when that was written so when they had to travel across the country they had to rely on uh what do you think they had to rely on mike (sighs) maps uh no they didn't maps yes but in order to navigate the map you need to be able to lay your eyes on that will help send you in the right direction a compass Oh, for Christ's sake, the sign is back. Ace of Base is back oh, in number one in the top. I saw the sign, and it told me where to go. I saw the sign. Then came Randall Flag, and he gave me a plague that killed everyone. I'm talking about the stand. I tried to give Mike the sign, but Mike did not see the sign at all. He walked into the sign until I... That was bad. All right. So Ace of Base is back with the sign after taking a week, couple of weeks off. The top movie, uh, another one I don't remember whatsoever, a movie called With Honors, starring Joe Pesci, Brendan Fraser, Moira Kelly, and Patrick Dempsey. Oh. I don't remember that whatsoever but i do remember of course our hard-hitting news from the weekly world news headlines talking about demons from hell they're back more satanic creatures sighted in california oregon arizona new mexico wyoming and And Utah. 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 it's a good thing we're out here on the east coast because we don't have to deal with those demons from hell which were coming out here on May 8th, 1994. Ooh. All right. Well, there it is with the hard news. Let's talk about this episode, The Wire, which was directed uh, by first-time Trek director and first female director uh, on Deep Space Nine, Kim, Kim Friedman. Words, 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 uh, words, 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 words. I words, know. Words. This is the first, first of six episodes that she would direct of Deep Space Nine, plus four more of Voyager. And this episode has a teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who last wrote on Shadowplay, hmm. which we enjoyed. Which means it is time for just a sous-son of trivial. Trivia. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay. So, just a few things on this one. Uh, first off, this episode marks the first appearance of the Obsidian Order, which is the name of one of my fantasy football teams. So uh, if uh, you know if you're playing me in fantasy football, you might be playing against Garrick and the Obsidian Order. Uh, the original idea of this episode was actually to have Kira be addicted to battle stimulants since hmm. her days fighting in the resistance. Um, which I think makes great sense. And it's sort of like realistic and heartbreaking. And I feel probably would have been a very good episode. Um, but I, they decided not to mainly because of having to follow that through uh, moving forward in the series. Um, but I feel that maybe if this had come up in season four or five, they might've actually gone there and, and stayed with that. Um, 
I, I love what they did here, but I feel like that would have been a very interesting mm -hmm. story. As I mentioned before, Kim Friedman was the first female episode, uh, first directed open, Jesus, first episode directed by a woman. Keith, wake up! Uh, and uh, Kim did such a good job. She was handed the season finale of this season and the season premiere of next season. So uh, that is how you know you did a good job when they're like, oh, never mind. You have the two most important episodes over the next year. Um, so, and I, I, I agree. All right. So what was the next generation doing? Well, uh, uh oh, Mike, the USS Enterprise, its computer brain is becoming self-aware in an episode <laughs> called Emergence. So uh, look out, that episode's weird, but I do like uh, exploring the idea of what happens if your ship becomes self-aware and what do you do and what are the ethics of that? Riddle me this, Keith. Why is mm -hmm. it that some television shows, networks order 23 episode seasons and then some order, what is this, like 26 episodes? 26. I think it has to do with the fact that the first season is only 19 episodes long. Oh, so they were like, just get them on the back end? They, I think they were like, uh, yeah, that we're going to even it out. We're going to get to the regular amount of episodes. But, uh, you know, but a lot of things happen with that. I know The Office, you know, they were super successful. So they ordered like 30 episodes one season. And then there was a writer strike, which screwed it up. And, and so uh, it's not always super tidy how many episodes a series gets, uh, at least in network, because you're dealing with a lot of other moving pieces. So the guest stars of this episode include Jimmy F. Skaggs as Bohica and Gillespie as Jabara, who also played Hildebrandt on The Next Generation. But most importantly, we have Andrew Robinson back as Garrick. And uh, Mike, did you clock who this was as Anabrantane? Yeah, I, I can't. I of course didn't know his name, but he's that guy who's in everything. <clears throat> Not just in everything, from our other series. Oh, yes, the practice as well. Of course, it's Paul Emmy winner for the practice, Paul Dooley as Anabran Tane. Uh, so excited to see him. Listen, I don't want to get too ahead of my, uh, too big for my britches here, but did, could, was there an Emmy nom potential there for our, for our, for our, uh, our dear old Garrick, because he gives one hell of a performance, a tour de force this week, I think. He sure does. Uh, but you would be disappointed to know not a lot of acting Emmys on Trek. They never gave the Trek actors the due mm. they deserved. Um, the 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 effects teams, all the visual and sound effects, you know, my family included, got a ton of them, but the actors never got the due they deserved. Uh, but we are going, we're going to do it because we're giving out something much more prestigious true. than Emmys or Oscars. We're handing out self-sealing stem bolts mm -hmm. at the end of this episode. So if you want to know how many they got, stick listen, around. Listen, many podcasts. There are countless podcasts who give out countless. stem bolts. I mean, they're like a dime a dozen. However, sure. if they break, I hope you have some sealant because you yeah. have to seal them personally. Yeah, but you don't want to. Yeah. You come here for those stem bolts that seal themselves. They're self-sealing. They're in hot demand. And we'll see how many this episode gets before Keith pulls that magic switch. Remember, Keith only Keith can pull the switch mm. that says, we're rebooting the whole system. 
We're That's adding. True. What is it? We're adding. What, what did I say? How are we doing it? I don't remember what. I have no idea what you're talking about. Remember, there was that great episode, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Keith oh. can supersize the scoring somehow." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I sh- I think we're probably not that far off. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. But uh, but yeah, you don't want to be stuck with your bolts in need of sealant. No. And you know those bolts are usually in a really inconvenient place to get to. That's up a Jeffrey's tube. You have oh, to like yeah. reach with an adapter. You know you don't want to be sealing them. All right. So uh, well, you nobody know has got my doing? Jeffrey tubes until I'm at least fifty. That's what my doctor said, which makes me feel good. Oh well, good for you. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully, Chief O'Brien will be there in your time of need. <laughs> Let us. Please, for the love of God, leave this bridge and head into our screening room Mike, and talk about the episode. Hit it! And now we can't monetize this episode. Thanks, we Mike. It was quick. It was fast. It's not how it works. It is how it works. Lies. Let's be honest. Nobody knows how it works. Nobody knows YouTube how is it... on a is on a destructive path to just demonetize everybody for everything. It is a mysterious, mysterious thing. Uh, speaking of mysterious things. Nice. Uh, in the trivia of this episode... Somebody wrote on IMDb that we see a certain species that are going to matter a lot later uh, walking around in the background of this, which wouldn't make any sense. And uh, guess what? You actually see what they're talking about in the background of this shot here in our screening room. There's a better shot later, though. It is not. It is not what you think it is. It is a similar-ish looking species, but it is not the species we're going to care about later. So everybody calm down. Wow, okay, Keith. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, IMDb, you got to vet some of that stuff, because you, you're not right. So uh, here in the teaser, we begin with Garrick and Bashir taking a lovely romantic stroll. Garrick is complaining about a late client who is from a species that doesn't believe in the concept of time. Mike, I believe you were that species in your 20s. Yeah, well into my mid thirties, some would say, but you know, jury's out. Yeah, that, that that was that was actually one of the first things when when Mike and I just started decided to uh, start a podcasting empire together. Mm. The first thing I said, like Mike, I know your species doesn't understand the concept of time, but let's walk through it. And uh, you know what? He learned. We got there. there. I would say that these days, Mike's a punctual dude. Not only that, Keith called three thirty today, but then it starts to snow, and I thought if I don't run now. I'm not going to run today. And I'm uh-huh. doing this thing where I'm trying to like have a little self-discipline. So I went out and I did the run. Four miles of hills. I walked back in the house at 327. And I was like, you know, I could text Keith and say, give me an extra 10 for a shower. But I said, no, he's going to do that thing where he's like upset because I said something and then I was 10 minutes late to it. So I'm here. I'm wearing my running clothes. I'm sweaty as hell, but I'm here. But you understand the concept of time. I do. Tick tock. Oh, right. I love that I'm such an asshole. He didn't shower. <laughs> well, that's one way to say it. <laughs> Boy, you know, we're we're learning some things here on the pod today. 
<laughs> we're supposed to do that on Geekly. I, I actually, I don't know what I, we're supposed to do at any time. So we're we not just... supposed. Nobody wasn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is how you build a friendship, folks. Uh-huh. Also on the screen, the friendship of Bashir and Garrick, and we find out Bashir super sleepy, and Garrick jealously, like green with envy and jealousy, asks, "Were you on a date with a lady?" But Bashir, no was actually on a date with a Cardassian book called The Never-Ending Sacrifice uh, that Garrick gave him, so uh, maybe. Uh, but we find out it's a boring book because it's Cardassian propaganda, the repetitive epic in which we learn that service to the state is all that matters. Uh, and the date seems to be going great, but Garrick is, gets kind of cranky, and then he winces. He's got a headache. Headache. Bashir tries to take him to the infirmary, and Garrick walks away. And that is our teaser. Uh, all of a sudden, the stroll took a turn, mm. and that's enough, uh, you know, to head off to the credits. So in Act 1, Dax and Bashir are examining a stabby potato plant mm-hmm. and can't figure out why it's not healthy. Da-do. Bashir... Da-do. Doop, da-do. I was walking in the neighborhood flower district when a strange and unusual plant caught my eye. And suddenly, and without warning, there was a total eclipse of the sun. sun. It got very dark. Okay, moving on. Guys, if you'd like to cast Mike in your community theater production of Little Shop of Horrors, there is your audition tape. (laughs) I think it's a winner. In the playbill, it just says Old Seymour. Old, decrepit Seymour. <laughs> you know, as we've talked about on the show before, uh, as, in order to be Seymour now, you got to be R- ripped. Uh, I, I, it, it rhymes with schmuckable. I'll, I'll tell uh, you, I, my, it's my favorite story. Uh, I did I did a production of Little Shop of Horrors I was very proud of at the Mayfair Theater in, uh, in Philadelphia. No longer, or the Devon Theater in Mayfield, Philadelphia, which is no longer in operation it was their first and only season a uh, great production incredible so you killed off an entire theater company no the, na- the neighborhood did anyway no. great great production i really enjoyed it everybody in the cast was stellar and lovely got a write-up in the philadelphia inquirer you can probably still find it if you want to google it uh anyway they referred to me as woody allen's chubby cousin My hometown <laughs> newspaper. And I was like, not, you know what? Chubby's bad enough. But you just compared me to Woody Allen. Those are two things you probably don't want in print on the internet forever. But there we go. Oh, hold on. I need to get this in context. <laughs> I've got to get this in context. Oh, from Devon Theaters 19. Oh, that's W-H-Y. Why? Wow. No, oh, my God. Two, there's it Mike. Like, it was like 2010, yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I, mean, I was, was kind of chubby. I was, I'll give him that. But th- why did you have to fat shame me? I, I know that would not, that would not play today. No. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, I don't see it in the, I, I don't find the inquirer, but the, uh, the, the, uh, WHYY in Philadelphia, which is where Terry Gross is based out of, uh, said it's a delight. Oh, well, there you go. I'll take that. So, blurb, that uh, blurb that for me. <laughs> well, it didn't say you. Michael Andeglio, dot, dot, dot. It's a delight. It's a delight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it, it, 
Oh my God. Those pictures of little Mikey. We got to put those up somewhere. All right. Anyway, uh, the hapless floral assistant Seymour played by Michael and Deglio. That's true. That's factually accurate. Oh, wait. So it, it talks about a rogue fire alarm going off. Yeah. In the middle of your performance. We had to go out and then, be, you know, fire alarms. You, you got to go outside and wait for the fire department to come. So we were all standing together. I was just standing in costume with the audience. So then we mm-hmm. went back in after the fire alarm and they uh, curtained up and I just picked up my line directly from where we left off. Stopped the show for like 15 minutes to ovation because they were just like celebrating. Our, you know, you know, audiences love to cheer along if they feel like you did something special. It's like, no, no, I know the lines already. It's not like I had to remember something, but it was fun. Oh, yes. No, you know what? No, he didn't. All right, so I have the Inquirer. What it says is the schlumpy character who creates this monster is played by Michael Indeglio, who elicits the same empathy that Woody Allen did in his early bittersweet non-molesty days. Indeglio even looks like a more robust coven, cousin of the comedian. Robust. He didn't call you. That's, I mean, I would argue that's worse than chubby. I mean, subtext is clear. <laughs> <laughs> a better fed version of <laughs> Where we, the hell are we? We have we are somehow so far really off don't... the rails. <laughs> I, I, I'm so sorry. We have to put in like another time code for when we, we lose the rails and we're going to get back on. Keith goes on a whole diatribe of Mike's review from when was that, 2009? 2009, yes. That's a long time yeah. ago. That is a very long time ago. It feels so recent, mm-hmm. but it's not. Mm-mm. All right. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, when you were doing the act one, talking about the stabby potato plant. That was still over 10 years later than this episode aired. Yes, yes. So uh, I can't figure out why it's not healthy. Bashir checks the computer. It's missing a fungus. But you know what? Who cares about the stabby potato? Because Bashir is only concerned about his true love, Garrick. They've been eating lunch together once a week now for a year. Late that night, Bashir walks to the promenade. The security gate at Quark's is apparently only at top, so it's more of a blind than a gate. Uh, but I don't think we were supposed to notice that. And uh, he spies on Garrick talking to Quark. And Garrick needs something, and Quark is going to get it for him. Bashir butts in rudely, and Quark lies and says... Oh, he's just ordering a sizing scanner for his tailor shop. And he offers Bashir uh, a chance to go get busy in the hollow suite, which for reasons beyond me, he's like, no. Later, uh, Bashir helps Cisco with his tired voice. Then Bush O'Brien shows up. Uh, I think if you actually listen to that scene, I think um, Avery Brooks had a cold or something. Mm. It's 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 very clear. I, I wouldn't have noted it if he didn't. Uh, maybe he was like, "I've only got one scene in this episode. You hit it a little hard the night before. You come in for your two lines." But uh, O'Brien shows up, and uh, Bashir is snooping on Cardassian medical files, obviously looking for Garrick's files in a wild HIPAA violation, mm. uh, which I can't imagine Starfleet would go for. Yeah, like, well, Odo's basically wants to start a police state security-wise, and Bashir's looking at people's like uh, 
medical records. We, we're sort of uh, losing the thread of uh, the ideal. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yes. Although for Odo, that he's always he's always wanted to Dick Cheney this situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bashir is usually the you know the starry eyed Starfleet. But you know what? Love makes your heart do things. Yeah, we've all opened our somebody's mail before. Come on. <laughs> so I thought I, it was for I, me. I, I I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I can't can't say I've done that. But but you know, look, we've all Google stocked someone or somebody. So I just did. I just Google stocked Mike. You did. So uh, Quark calls and says, "I need you in my bar because Garrick is there getting tanked." He drunkenly apologizes to Bashir, and Bashir decides to take Garrick home. But he's going to take a stop at the infirmary on the way. Garrick's like, hell no. But then he collapses, and they beam directly to the infirmary. So where were you at this point, Mike, in the story? Like, what were you thinking? Did you have any idea what's what's happening? No. <laughs> I, did. I mean, I knew it was happening. I just didn't know what was going on. I, I didn't think, I didn't plot where we were going. I thought he was just sick and the episode was going to be about Bashir trying to get him well, which is ostensibly true. But it's more. It is more. It is better than that. Okay. So in that too, I here's to, where we I start. Liked to, I liked that, that we beam. We, it was such an emergency. We don't need ambulances anymore. We can just, we can just beam down. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't do that all the time. Uh, and actually in, uh, in season three of Discovery in the future, they sort of just do that. They just like beam everywhere. If I wanted to like beam upstairs, it's like beep, beep, if you have the energy for it. Uh, I don't know if that's going to help you with your steps, however. So uh, Bashir has found an implant in Garrick's brain. He discusses it with Odo, who assumes it's a punishment device implanted by the Cardassians. Another HIPAA violation. I don't, I don't think... Uh, I don't think Garrick signed off Odo on this, uh, but it's been there for a very long time. Bashir suggests to Odo that Quark will know what's up. And Odo says he's already noticed Quark sending messages to Cardassia in a wild Sixth Amendment violation. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the ethics of all the characters had to take a step down for the story pacing. Yeah, that's fair. Because it was like, if we actually took the time to do all of this ethically, we'd still well, be watching the episode. To you know, to, along those lines, you know, if we're in the writers' room, if 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 part of the spin of this episode is going to be that Garrick, we have to maintain Garrick's, uh, what's the word I want to use? Privacy. Um, nope. Uh, his presence as an unreliable narrator because of all of the obfuscation he does and whatnot. Right then at some point, specifically early on, we're going to have to give concrete narrative, concrete information, factual information. And if we can't get it from him, <laughs> we're going to yeah. have to steal it, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so Odo and Bashir decide, hey, uh, let's listen in on Quark's calls in the middle of the night. Okay. Sure. Yeah. With a surveillance camera that's just up there. I, boy, I... I, I feel like Cisco doesn't know about this. Like, this is just a little thing Odo does that he doesn't talk about. So this next scene, Keith, this scene here, you know, you talk often, everybody talks often. You, 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 you're my, uh, you're my, uh, 
what's the word? I'm man, I can't talker. <laughs> You're my talker, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> You're the authority of Star Trek for me. I know that even you are not comprehensive, but you are my authority. So you often talk about how they were so far ahead of the game in prognosticating future technology. Yeah. Well, here they shoot this scene exactly how Apple shoots commercials for like how to simulate an iPad, a FaceTime call, like mm. the direct on sort of semi fish angle lens they use when Quark is on camera. It's like this was a FaceTime call. And it's shot as if it's a FaceTime call well before FaceTime was a thing. They didn't even blur his background. Well, that that just came in 16.3 or 2. So, I mean, come on. Mm, mm, mm. All right. <laughs> so, Quark calls a Cardassian buddy, and they reminisce about Dabo girls, of course. And Quark says, eh, no big deal. I need a little piece of Cardassian biotechnology. And his, the dude's like, yeah, man, no worries. And he gives the requisition code. And then the Cardassian guy, he, he puts it in and then freaks the hell out. He should not have clicked on that link because the vo the code is very classified. And not just classified, but classified by the Obsidian Order. This causes Quark to get off the phone real fast and uh, close the tab and uh, clear the browsing history and Odo explains to Bashir that the Obsidian Order is essentially the Cardassian KGB, mm. and that they're even more effective and powerful than the Romulan Tal Shiar, which, who we have met previously, who was also sort of their version of the CIA KGB sort of a deal. And Bashir says, huh? Huh? He posits that uh, perhaps the Obsidian Order put the chip in Garrick's head. And he goes in to check on him, but Garrick has already left the infirmary. So we head to Act 3, and Bashir tracks down Garrick in his quarters and discovers Garrick injecting himself with a whole mess of pain reliever. And Garrick says, look, buddy, there's nothing you can do for me. Bashir says Quark couldn't get the item that Garrick needs. And this is where we start to see Andrew Robinson's performance become a you know more and more complex because it's a very similar beat to um what we saw with Gul Dukant last week when he realizes like oh god I'm I'm totally trucked and but I don't want to show that I know that same thing here once he realizes that Quark can't get him the piece he has to really wrestle with the consequences of that he looks gutted and asks for his hyperspray to give him what would probably amount to a fatal amount of more sedative. His brain nerve cluster, or whatever, is breaking down severely. Bashir wants to get him back to the infirmary, but Garrick does not want to be on display for the Bajorans to gawk at. Um, so a lot of interesting uh, just character elements there, and amazing Andrew Robinson faces you're seeing here on your screen. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a the beginning of a really interesting and layered performance. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because and and I love the way they pace the performance as well because we so ostensibly we've only really known him in a comedic role. <clears throat> Even when he's done some 007-ing, it's been with a wink and a nod and kind of an arch and yes, an, an arch eyebrow and a, a turn of phrase, a quip. 
Here we're starting to see uh, a little bit more than that, and then they're going to open the floodgates pretty soon. Yeah, well, we're we're seeing just we're seeing vulnerability from Garrick for the first time, um, you know, and his discomfort, right? Because part part of the the ways that Garrick you know does not show vulnerability is that he never appears uncomfortable mm-hmm. and he never fe- appears conflicted and here you know the i i think his fear of being gawked at by the bajorans is legitimate i think it's real um and that's not a color we've seen from him so bashir knows about the implant and says he thinks it's a punishment device look at that screenshot that's so funny uh apparently bashir farted uh and Garrick laughs at this, and he explains what it is. He was given this device by Nobrin Tain, the head of the Obsidian Order, because he's got a whole bunch of classified secrets in his head. And the device is designed to put out pleasure chemicals if you were ever captured and tortured. So in so when if you were to be tortured, it would kick in and he would be immune to pain but it was never meant for continuous use. And he goes on a monologue here explaining that living on this station is torture for him. The temperature is too cold, the lights are too bright, and the Bajorans hate him. Um, All of this we set up, right? In the pilot, they talk, you know, Cisco's like, it's too hot in here because uh, Cardassians like it super hot. And in all of the flashbacks, to when it was Tarek Nor, the lights are much dimmer. So clearly, um, being in an environment, because if, if you really think about it, being in a room where the temperature is five degrees too cold, like it's no big deal for 10 minutes or an hour, but perpetually that gets really rough. Wet socks, baby. Wet socks, yeah, exactly. You know, and the same thing, it, it being too bright. Uh, so he says... Uh, he turned on the device and you know like a drug you try it a couple times you feel better and then he just decided to leave it on Mm. and it's now been on for two straight years and it's starting to break down so he's addicted to these chemicals o'brien tells him to fight and garrick says "Uh, maybe i don't deserve it and he tells uh long before the dark night begins telling the story of how he got here. He says, uh, during the occupation, he was a gull in charge of the mechanized infantry on Bajor, and shortly before the withdrawal, some of his Bajoran prisoners escaped. His aide, named Elam, tracked them down to a Cardassian shuttle headed back for Terraknor, i.e. Deep Space Nine. But he was prevented from searching the shuttle by orders from Gull Dukat. So Garrick had the shuttle destroyed, killing the escapees, Elam, and 97 civilians. Garrick says, I was just following orders, but one of the civilians killed was the daughter of a Cardassian bigwig. So he was stripped of his rank and exiled. Um, When it's a pretty, pretty bleak backstory for Garrick here. And to his credit, Bashir... Uh, still tries to treat him, but he needs to turn off the device and deal with the withdrawal. He grabs the triggering device out of Garrick's desk. So what Garrick did, I was confused by this, so I went back and checked it. So Garrick built himself 
a triggering device to mm-hmm. be able to manually <clears throat> control how this works. So we've had this big reveal, Mike. What are you thinking here about this story, Garrett told? Uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, despite myself, I guess I, I took him at his word. I was trying to figure out. It, it, I could also. It seemed. It didn't shock me. I mean, if he was a if he was a deep a deep spy and you know a, a big wig in that in that army, then doing these kind of atrocity things didn't quite uh, surprise me. Uh, I didn't quite put together the whole. It was a little confusing. The whole device giving me endorphins if I'm tortured, so I'm using it to dull the pain of this torture was a little bit uh, convoluted. But I get the point of it by the end of it. Well, I mean, it's uh, it, which is why I think this this tying back to the the idea that it would have been Kira using war stimulants. Um, you know, I think there there there's a tie there because that's very much a real thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, in wars, we have fed our soldiers amphetamines and all sorts of um, you know uppers and downers and and pain meds and all sorts of horrible things. So like that's that's very much a thing that is part of war. One of one of the horrors of war are are that sort of a thing. So it makes sense. So uh later in act 4 in the infirmary Bashir continues working. But he doesn't have enough data on Cardassian physiology. Then Odo comes in wanting to question Garrick He's trying to track down four different murders he suspects were done by the Obsidian Order. Bashir says, nope. And Odo is frustrated, but accepts it honorably. Later, we see Garrick is clearly in pain. More time passes. Yeah, we get a whole montage. We get a whole montage of him going through withdrawal. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's tough. And Bashir loyally sits vigil as he goes through this withdrawal and it is, it's sort of heartbreaking uh, to watch him suffer like that. And also to see Bashir who at this point believes that story mm-hmm. uh, being incredibly uh, loyal to him. But uh, later that night, Garrick wakes up in tears and wakes Bashir up and Garrick is furious. His, his tears have turned to rage and he says the past two years were a waste. And he starts to villain monologue while breaking stuff. And uh, he tells story number two about what happened. And he says that he was the protege of Anabrin Tain, who everyone was afraid of. And that he, Garrick, was going to be a powerful man. But then we learn that he threw it all away by letting those escapees go instead of destroying the ship. He was interrogating and torturing children on the eve of the end of the occupation, and he took pity on them and gave them money and let them go. The punishment was the same. He was stripped of his title and exiled. And he admits that the only thing he's enjoyed for the last two years has been having lunch with Bashir. And this is when he was when I turned off my work phone. Uh, he loses it. And then there's a fight. They struggle. Then Garrick has a seizure. And we realize we are in Garrick's quarters. So, okay. So this was a huge moment here for, uh, 
for Garrick and and for uh, Andrew Robinson's performance. All right, Mike, tell me what you were feeling at this point. This story then redeems him, but I also I also it rang true to me because. You know, I said it flippantly at the top about this being romantic or whatnot, but it really did it did really examine their relationship almost romantically, or I guess you could you know a deep friendship, same difference, but someone who you have your you have emotional ties to, empathetic ties to, because even though it was kind of like the DTs kind of brought it on, regardless of what the instigation was, there's always that fight you have with a loved one. Doesn't matter how much you love them, where you hit your boiling point, you hit your red zone, and you just start to say things that you know that are designed to hurt that other person, right? You, yeah. To to you know the triggers, you know them well enough to point and you and you do it. Because you think it's gonna make you feel better, but it doesn't. And so I really felt like this scene captured that. I had a visceral response to it because I've always you always you can point to the handful of times in your life you've done that. Hopefully it's yeah. not more than that, but I know some of us have worse tempers than others. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, I'm still ashamed of almost all those moments with all those people. Sure. And sure. Uh, this one, this this was, and it, and to, and for this character, who's like I said, been pretty, I don't want to say happy go lucky, but he's been pretty. Uh, well, he he's always had the intentional distance, yes, and, and control artifice, yes, the control, yeah, control. Yeah. of his performance, if you will, and like he's he, there. There's always an element of it where he's like, I'm always three steps ahead. It's always a little bit of a game. It's always there's there's a there's a remove. There's a distance um, between him and everybody else on the station, and even him with Bashir. And what you see in this seen regardless of the veracity of what he's saying or the half truth what comes true as what, what rings true is that he cares deeply about bashir and, and that or their relationship what bashir is thinks. real yeah what what he thinks and he has real feelings about their relationship and he's probably not lying that the best part of his week is lunch with bashir um and and you can you can understand so uh so he has the seizure and he they take him back to the infirmary and they literally have to shock his heart uh to get him to get it going again. Bashir can't figure out what's wrong. The implant is shut down, but the chemicals are still there. Bashir checks a bunch of samples of Cardassian leukocytes and they medical technobabble frantically. Keith, this was like a screenshot directly from that game we've been playing. It <laughs> Direct. <laughs> they popped in a CD-ROM, mm -hmm. and uh, they got very confused. Uh, yeah, but something is still wrong, and they need some leukocytes or blah, 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 technobabble, medicine, medicine. Um, but Garrick says, stop. Now I'm going to tell you the truth of how I got this scar. So Elam wasn't Garrick's aide. He was his friend who uh more than brothers i think this is a sly reference to him being his lover right or at least opening that door and anabrintain took a liking to the two of them and made them powerful they were known as the sons of tain and then there was a scandal about the rumors of someone letting the bajoran prisoners go the rumors said it was garrick who did it so Garrick worked to try and frame Elam for it, only to discover that Elam had already framed Garrick. 
and that's why he was exiled. Um, so he betrayed his quote unquote friend. Um, and then, uh, Garrick thinks he deserves what he got for trying to frame his best friend. But he asks Bashir for forgiveness. And Bashir forgives him for whatever he did, even though he still doesn't necessarily believe him. Um, which I thought was a, a a really nice moment. And again, like we're seeing vulnerability from Garrick. We, regardless of what's true and what's not true, I think his desire for forgiveness is true. Mm-hmm. is is genuine there and his um desire for it to be Bashir who gives it to him I believe is also genuine um it's a I, I thought it was a really touching scene yeah okay so uh <clears throat> Bashir decides because we still need those leukocytes we still need that techno babble yeah, absolutely he grabs a runabout and heads off on a mission to talk to who was really responsible for this. And he arrives on Cardassia Prime, who we now know is named Cardassia Prime, the homeworld of the Cardassians, and beams down to talk to none other than Inabrin Tain himself. And he uh, immediately starts snooping on his computer before Tane shows up behind him and welcomes him by name. Now, if I'm going to go and visit the head of the KGB, I probably don't want to get caught snooping around on the computer. Keith, don't you find it interesting that they were the sons of Tane and were collectively known on the internet as the sons of Taint? Yep. Okay. So (laughs) that, that, that Taint funny, buddy. That uh, wasn't good. No. <laughs> that was bad. It was not. It's not good. That that that's okay. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> they're not always winners. Speaking uh, of not uh, always winners, you know what I thought was a winner? We we totally blew by it early on. One of the first scenes when they're dealing with Little Shop. Oh, that's because we were talking about my Little Shop. Uh, Bashir has that great line where he 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 pays homage to the original series, and he says. Basically, goddamn it, I'm a doctor, not a botanist. Thought that was good. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good good throwback and good catch, Michael. Thank you. Oh, look at that. Uh more square turtlenecks. That's pretty impressive. They're able to like You know you're a distinct looking person fabric. when they stick so much makeup on you, but you still know exactly what actor it is. You still yeah, you know oh that's Paul Dooley. Yeah. It's also because he's also got that iconic voice. Mm. So uh, Bashir asks Tane, "Why do you? How do you know my name?" And, and Tain what proves, drink I like? Yeah, he proves he knows everything about him. Uh, and the only reason that he was able to get there and beam onto into his house, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, is that Tane told the military to allow him to get there. So Tane asks, "Hey, how's Garrick doing?" So is that because he does his research, or is he like spying on him through Garrick? Garrick. No, I I don't I don't think at this point Garrick is a part of this. Okay. I I think you know we're we're learning how powerful and how knowledgeable the Obsidian Order is and how knowledgeable Atain is. So he asks him how Garrick's doing, and Bashir says he's dying. Tain says, if you're truly his friend, you should let him die. Because a life in exile is no life at all. 
And uh, so he asks Tane for help on the Cardassian biochemistry. And Tane says, I'll give you the information because I want Garrick to have a long, miserable life surrounded by people who hate him and knowing he'll never go home again. Aww. That's 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 harsh. That's sweet. <laughs> that's really quite something. Uh, that's a line. And uh, but before before he leaves, Bashir says, "You know, whatever happened to Elam?" Tane laughs and says, "Garrick has been doing what he does best: never tell the truth when a lie will do." And of course, we find out that Elam is Garrick's first name. And just before he leaves, he says, uh, tell Garrick that I miss him. So Bashir heads back to the station, and he uh, he sits alone eating lunch when he's joined by Garrick, who who's is now... Cat? Who's this cat? This is a great... This is just a cross. This awesome... That was just a cross. That's who people thought were a different thing and isn't. Mm. Okay. Uh, well said. I, you know, well I have, said. Look, I have to work around spoilers. Okay. We're, we're getting there soon. Okay. We're getting there very soon. Uh, but you know, spoilers. All right. Uh, so uh, Garrick is now healthy, and he wants to move on and forget about the last ten days. Garrick says Odo accused him of being a member of the Obsidian Order, which he says, "Well, that's just silly. I'm just a plain, simple tailor." And Bashir asks, "You know, which of those stories you told are true and which aren't?" To which Garrick responds. They're all true. Even the lies? My dear doctor, especially, especially the lies. The lies. Good line. Great line. Great line and great way to finish that up. We have a lot to discuss uh about the the Garrick of it all. Like today we're just really sort of getting through the uh getting through the summary so we can dig into Garrick his past and the obsidian order. But before we do that, we have to do a certain vocab quiz. Sure do, and I didn't go to the other thing too early, which is kind of a win. Oh my god. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. All right. Well, this one uh, should be uh, pretty obvious. Mike, what is the Obsidian Order? Oh, that. Oh, that. That's. Oh, that's. What's happening over there? That's, uh, you know, Keith, that's the special military branch of baddies, uh, the deep seated KGB esque uh, thing that Garrick was a part of. Indeed. And uh, next up, Mike, what's uh, tryptocenterine? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's a thing you need to get to, to the, the guffin of the MacGuffin. Sure, sure. To heal, yeah, the, I, to heal the thing that's breaking the thing. I think that was the chemical agent that he was putting in his brain to make himself feel better. It's the meth of uh, yeah, Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let us... Tip one back in Quarks and uh, come along home. Here we are at Quarks. So this is going to be a difficult one to really adjudicate but mike were there any wormholes in the plot of the wire 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the whole thing, right? They're kind of all wormholes. Uh, we don't know what the story, true story is, which does kind of bring up, I guess we could view it either as a flaw of the episode or maybe it's its benefit. We'll get there, though, because the question becomes, like, what did we actually learn? Um, mm -hmm. But I think... For me, the wormhole is the whole MacGuffin. Like, is is the is the device that was implanted? So we learn the whole time he's just drug addict. Is kind of what we learn, or that he's being tortured. They doesn't like ah. he basically yes. I mean, basically, he has this ability to put drugs in his brain that he started abusing. You know, he, he basically, essentially abusing pain meds. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But, so is the only real kind of, like, information we learned is that he was, like, a super soldier spy, but we kind of already knew that, right? We just didn't know the name of the branch he was in. Huh. That's interesting. Well, like, we knew that he was a super honest. spy, and we knew that people knew he was a super spy, but hated him because he did something, because it's been in previous episodes. So, like, what? We just learned that, like, he... He hates everybody <laughs> that he's actually not happy go lucky. He's just kind of miserable. And in fact, there was the, in that there, even during that scene, he said that he enjoyed those lunches. But then there was another part of that scene, if I'm not mistaken, where he was like, I, I hate these lunches. You're, you're stupid. And I hate your stupid ass face. Right. Right. <laughs> well, he's like, I hate the fact that this is the best part of my week. Right. Because which, you're stupid and, and you're and, and all those things. Go ahead, Keith. Say it. Stupid ass face. You want to say it. Your stupid ass face. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's oh, that's very interesting that that. So is like, I really liked the episode. I loved the that. performance, but when I get into it. I'm like, what did we actually learn? Huh? Maybe. I mean, if we take so two thirds, so sixty six percent of the stories tell us that he did something what we would consider chivalrous. He let innocent people go. Two mm -hmm. of the stories have that information in it. One of the story, well, assuming that. Then, then that raises the question of who actually is this Eris dude, right? Like, was that his actual lover or friend, brother, or Elam. was it him, Elam, or was it him? And he just like manufactured the conflict between them, and he was leaving a breadcrumb that it was him that did these things. Well, okay. There's a lot to sort of unpack there. With yeah, what we you said. just. I think we're. Hold on. Let's just. Let's. I'm going to take that off because this is really yeah, because we're, we're yeah because yeah, it's because it, it's hard to sort of break down this way. I, 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 um, I you know what, let's do it this way. We'll come back to my comment. Let me just say I think yeah. that scene with the two of them the, during the fight is my favorite scene. I think it's the best scene because mm -hmm. we get to see the whole rainbow of his performance. Yeah, I I I, I think so too. Although for me, I loved the montage of the sort of vigil. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, it was very you know, rocky was, too, if you will. Well, it it was very rocky too, and also it's not something we see on Star Trek very often. Mm. I thought it was it was a, a different tonal thing than we've seen. Um, you know, there's I don't think we've seen a montage like that on Deep Space Nine. I don't think I, there's anything like that on Next Generation. So I love the sort of passing time director flourish there uh, from Kim Friedman, which I'm sure it was in the was in the script. But I actually really liked seeing that little window into time passing. Um, all right. So that was my favorite moment. Yeah. So let's so let's just sort of see if we can unpack this. So for me, um, I think we actually learn a great deal. Interesting. Here in this, um, you know, you're right. 
that we've all always suspected that he was some sort of a super spy. And we have always suspected um, that obviously something happened that put him in this position. You know, uh, is he faking that something went wrong? And is he actually there as a, as a full spy? Is he a half spy? Who's he loyal to? Um, and we had, you know, we had the little Casablanca episode. We've, um, you know, he is, he has sort of like his, his denials ring pretty false. So he kind of wants people to know that he's a spy. He's broken in, you know, and represented the government a few times. So it, it is all sort of murky. Um, but I, I think the, a, I think learning about the Obsidian Order, right, is very important here. Um, and learning that it is a separate entity, right? So Cardassia has basically three main entities. You have the civilian government, you have the military government, you know, that Dukat is part of. But the Obsidian Order is a third separate thing mm. that, so the so you have the civilian government's afraid of the military, the military is afraid of the Obsidian Order. And so um, to know that Garrick is associated with that, he's not just a, a regular spy. And that if he worked with or directly had this kind of relationship with the head of it, he he wasn't he, he was like a really serious and powerful so then, person. That so we're so far as we know, he's either blacklisted because he didn't send a bunch of kids to get slaughtered or he what was the third the third potentiality was that he let somebody else did it and he framed people thought he did it and so he tried to frame his buddy right um to get away from it but that he got pre-framed but that he got pre-framed but then of course we learned that he's they're both him yes um which uh for me, I walk out of it thinking that. Oh, go ahead. Yes, I mean, so like I said, if sixty-six percent of that's true, it, it leads me to believe that what I guess we learn is that he's his morals align more closely with humans, with our human understanding, than they, he does with the Cardassian sort of military flagship op, op, modus operandi. Yeah, well, I I think it it really gets down to how ruthless is he? Because at times it seems like he's very ruthless and capable of pretty much anything, and at the same time he's capable of mercy, and he's and and he and he has feelings and empathy, and I think that um, for me, having Elam and Garrick briefly exist as two separate people i think are representative of garrick's internal conflict right i i think that's what that means i i think mm. he's been mm. at war with himself with his own sense you know with his own empathy his desire to be to be a son of tain right and to like be as ruthless and be that powerful person but there's still a part of him that felt for those you know the, the bajoran children and I think I think that was real. And I think the same thing with with the Bashir thing, right? That there's a part of him that just wants to stay removed and hate this place or whatever. But he has genuine feelings for Bashir, and he probably hates that part about himself. He finds that vulnerability, that empathy, something that is both a big part of him and something that he's been taught to hate and is really wrestling with. And so, 
you know, not to get too far into therapy, but, you know, a lot of people suffering from addiction of one kind or another, um, the generator of that is, you know, it's all, it's usually trauma based in some fashion, but sometimes the most difficult trauma we can deal with is an internal conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that we, we do learn. So we, so we learn he was what the obsidian order is and that he was a big part of it. And we learn that for the first time, really, how internally conflicted he is. And well, I like the conflict. We see that we all, it's mirrored in Bashir in this episode, not, not to that much of an extent, but I think he's with the scene with Dax, where she's basically like, well, come on, don't be fooled. He's clear. You can't be friends with someone who's lying to you constantly. And Bashir's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. He's got a bad poker face. You can see right. that he's struggling with, I know I shouldn't trust him or like him, but I kind of do. So we, it is mirrored. Yeah. Well, and it's, and, and also like, what do we like about Garrick? Right. And, and I think it, it, it's, you know, part of it is the mystery, right? Part of it is the, you know, what is his deal? But I also think that like, we can tell that he has goodness in him. He mm-hmm. He has goodness and darkness in him. And that, and he's struggling with it. But I think that that is a very appealing, very, you know, human uh, part of the condition that we're all wrestling with the good and bad in ourselves. And, you know, the, the, the various masters that we serve, right? Because Garrick is, is a person of many masters that he's all trying to serve, which are mutually, you know, exclusive from each other. You can't, you can't serve your life in a federation place and the Cardassian government. And which Cardassian government are you serving? Do you really want to be a part of that? Do you not want to be a part of that? He's it's a, it's a really interesting character study. Um, so to to get to the get to the point, I think we've actually learned a great deal. Even though, do we really know which of these stories are true and which right. combination and 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 what that whole thing? No, I don't think we do. Um, you know, I, I think part of Garrick's inherent inherent to his character is the mystery, is we don't really know. Um, but I think we we get more pieces of the puzzle. We may never get all the pieces. We may never get the corners, but I think we're getting pieces here that that matter a great deal. Mike, what else? I don't have much else. I I I really liked it. I really loved that the performance of both of them. I thought there was so, a lot of uh, empathy and humility and you know it's a lot to, is it, it wasn't a very thick uh, complicated plot line and so there was a lot of there wasn't a lot of twists and turns we needed to kind of to, to pace it and so it really relied heavily on both their performances and i thought it was really well done i think if i had to put a number on it i lo- yeah. i really liked it i, I don't think do I, here. I don't think i loved it uh still don't I don't think, I think it was a, I don't want to call it a bottle episode. It didn't really move our plot forward much in the grand scheme of things, but it did move their relationship forward, which is kind of the purpose it was serving. So I'm going to give it 78 self-sealing stem bolts. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think um, part of that's hard to, hard to talk about now at this point in the series without yeah, like understanding Incibian, how if, if this insibians what did i say the obsidians come back and are more important yeah we then it was nice with that first time we got that that 
that might drop. Yeah, but. we're like it's it's. I guess it's not that much of a spoiler that there's more to this, right? <laughs> and that and that we are we are laying some some groundwork here. Um, and you're right, it is a bottle episode, right? They, and it was another one of those episodes late in the season, like duet was, where like, oh crap, we're out of money. Uh, do something with hardly any special effects and just our existing sets, please. I mean, they obviously redress something for Tane's quarters, but like not particularly heavily. Um, also, there's no B story. There's right. no B story, no C story. It It is like duet, basically two characters talking to each other. That's, that is what the episode is. Um, and, and I think you're right. We're really seeing, and I, and I said this in season one where we're like, with both the character of Bashir and and Alex Siddig's performance, we're like, I don't know what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we really we're seeing both of them really develop and really start to find some traction there. And so this is some of the more most likable Bashir's ever been. It's kind he, of a shame, like uh, not to we won't go down this rabbit hole, but it is kind of a shame they didn't that they put the kibosh on them having maybe a deeper kind of relationship because oh my god. It's there's so it's much clearly better. so fertile and there's so much storytelling there and oh I can't wait till you see episode three of The Last of Us Keith um but <laughs> they really had an opportunity to tell a different story here and they you know I understand but it's a shame yeah it was all sort of subtext but like a hundred percent if the show were being done today they would be allowed to they to have be that in a chemistry you know j- absolutely just. just Sometimes just because of chemistry on set, you can make and be like, "Hey, this I, we didn't plan this, but it's reading this way, and you've got that chemistry. Let's go with it." Uh, maybe they didn't have the courage at the time, but yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly both of the actors were a million percent up for it. Right? They're like, "That's what kind of what we're playing. Let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. lean into it." Um, and I think it would have added. Well, but here's the thing. I think for me, it is not. Uh, in conflict with canon that this is what this is for Bashir. I mean, for Garrick. You know, I I I think, I genuinely think in canon with no rewrites that Garrick is in love with Bashir. And and I, I think that is another another part of the internal conflict. Because I, I, I can't imagine that the Obsidian Order of the Cardassian government is particularly welcoming of gay characters. So, mm. so, so uh, he's probably wrestling his internal homophobia as well, and probably species phobia or whatever that would be, uh, to be in love with a human. Yeah. Oh my God. Really going for it. But like, and and that's also like with our small-minded, always reading of. You, in order to be in love with someone, you must be sexually attracted. Like this could be all divorced from sexuality entirely. You know what I mean? Like totally. So there's a lot of nuance that clearly can't be captured in a 45 minute network television script. But for all we know, you know, like you said, the storytelling is the storytelling. The performances are the performances. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a they had a meeting and they're like, well, we're never going to see them hook up, right? And then like we can't show that on TV. But that doesn't well, mean I, I, you can't read what you read in the story. From what I understand, it was Berman who was who saw the dailies of the first time we saw Garrick, and or the first couple episodes, and he's like, "No, uh, 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 tone that shit down," because um, he clearly got the subtext. But uh, you know, I think it's still there in Andrew Robinson's performance. Well, and, yeah, and, clearly that's why we're talking. We're talking about it because it's, it's a beautiful there. performance. Yeah, I think and, so. and he said subsequently that it was 100 percent intentional. Like that's exactly how we played it, and and I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really interesting, um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, it's a, it's a missed opportunity, frankly, storytelling wise. However, 
uh, to get to the self-sealing stem bolts, which we've promised for you. Mike gives it 78. I like it a little more than you do. Okay. Um, I actually found this to be a very uh, compelling and satisfying episode. Uh, so for me, uh, you're going to get... Uh, you're gonna get 87 self-sealing. Wow! Stem okay, there's a golf from there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there sure is, and you know, and part of it is looking forward, mm -hmm. um, and that you know, knowing what about this is important, both from a character point of view and a world-building point of view. Um, you know, at this point, they hadn't planned to bring Tane back, but spoiler alert, we might see more of Tane. Um. So uh, lots of lots of cool stuff. So uh, there we are. We're bifurcated, but uh, certainly an interesting episode. So next week, next week we are talking about crossover. So uh, look out, Mike. Do you have any idea what that is yet? Uh, do we get some uh, some Voyager and or TNG characters on? Is it an act? Is it a literal crossover? Oh, good point. Uh, no. Uh, alas, although it is a soft sort of crossover with the original series, mm, uh, okay. or it has ties to the original series. I'm uh, down. Which I'm down. Fans who know exactly what I'm talking about, I, I went back and I watched that episode to see whether we needed to have seen it before this, and I, I think we're okay. I don't think we necessarily right. need to have seen that episode, uh, but it's going to be an interesting one. Hold on to your butts, and uh, while you're holding on to that but you might want to uh give us a like give us a subscribe you can send us an email at uh keith and mike entertainment at gmail.com if you have any thoughts and feelings about this or you want to sponsor the show you want to mm -hmm. you want us to pitch your self-sealing stem bolts uh we would be honored to do so you can also join our patreon at patreon.com slash k and m spell out that and and get all sorts of delicious goodies uh, you can check out our uh, look at my Star Trek toys series. You can watch Keith and Mike play Star Trek Infinity or whatever that game is. And we'll never remember what Which it's we got to do this week, Keith. We need to get some in the can we, before I forget entirely what the hell we're doing. We have like four weeks, but yes. yes. Uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to do uh, some of that. Some point and click CD-ROM action. Uh, and you can also check out K&M Geekly where we just, you know, unlike this. We just sit down and talk about whatever mm -hmm. the heck we're thinking about because we don't do that on this show. Yeah, this week we we look at my eyeballs. Yeah, we do. We look at Mike's eyeballs. So uh, there it is, folks. If that's your thing, <laughs> be, there's going to be lots of it. So, uh, yeah, hey, so Keith, that's our things. Yes. I'm not looking at you. Oh, he's doing it again. These aren't Those my eyes. aren't Mike's eyes eyes so if you're just listening to this uh the audio feed and you're not seeing mike's creepy ass <laughs> digital eyes that's probably a good life decision but if you'd like to uh make a poor life decision you can leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you're listening to that would really help us get more earballs on this show and we would very much appreciate it okay that's it next week we'll be back with crossover till then this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.